directly above where I'm standing here and in the rest of the choir as well, there are paintings of eight angels on the ceiling. I was waiting to see how many of you would look up when I said that. But you, perhaps you've noticed them long ago if you've been here many times, uh, but perhaps not. Some years ago, a friend of mine brought her seven-year-old son to Mass here, to the monastery for the first time. And we were visiting afterward. I asked the young boy, his name was Nicholas, uh, did you like the church? You know, how'd you like it? He said, yeah, I especially like the angels. And it actually took me a moment to realize what he was talking about, because I tend to look you know, this way in the church. When you're a little child and everyone around you is taller than you are, you tend to look up a lot. And so children have this way of noticing what's above them, whereas we adults tend to forget about that after a while. This is to say the child's perspective is different than ours. It's more vertical than the average adult's. It's actually quite easy, as easy for me as anyone else, to forget that I have angels flying over me uh, in all the hours that I spend in choir every day. And occasionally, God reminds me of the child's perspective to reorient me toward fully heavenly realities. Our Lord said that entrance into his kingdom requires us to become like little children. And fulfilling this requirement after we become adults involves a conversion of perspective. A question arises at an event like this. Why would anyone become a monk in the world today? All the pressing problems there are, both inside and outside the church, all the anxiety, isn't this taking the easy way out? In the church, with the contemporary emphasis on the new evangelization, isn't retreat into a monastery an abdication of responsibility? Well, as you might guess, I'll answer this question. But I'll take a short detour to do so through two books. Uh, two books that offer us both a glimpse of the goal, where we're going as Christians, but also an unflinching look at the realities of our own weakness. Before St. Augustine's famous conversion scene in his Confessions, even before his baptism, actually, uh, someone gives him some books. Thereby, he tells us the Platonists, and, and scholars will debate over exactly which books these were, but this was his first real exposure to philosophy. He was a, a rhetorician, a public speaker, and as we know, public speakers are always tempted to make the argument, uh, regardless of the truth, they make the argument that they're trying to make. So for St. Augustine to wrestle with the truth as truth was something kind of new for him. And he has this shocking experience, he tells us, catching a glimpse of the truth, uh, what he understands to be God. Again, this is before his baptism. He also tells us that in, in catching this glimpse, he couldn't hang on to it because his mind was too weak. He couldn't focus on this all the time. He, he had to... He was distracted by all kinds of things. He had work to do, etc. So he spends the rest of his life trying to recapture this perspective, this different perspective on things. What he discovered was that seeking God required more than reading and thinking, which is what he was accustomed to doing. It required him to live a different kind of life. He had to change. He had to get rid of old habits. He was very reluctant to get rid of some of those old habits, as you know. Uh, he was attached to them. But he actually goes ahead and becomes a monk. And when he was later taken out of the monastery and ordained a bishop, he continued to surround himself with monks. 
And why this should be, I'm going to return to in a moment. First, uh, the second book I want to mention, that is a uh, masterpiece of Dostoevsky, Brothers Karamazov. Uh, that also features uh, many monks. Before entering the monastery, the character known as the Elder Zosima was a soldier of no particular rank or distinction. But as often happened in uh, the 19th century among soldiers, he got into a dispute and uh, he was challenged to a duel. And the night before the duel, young Zosima sat up and thought. And he was shocked to find out that he was actually willing to kill another man. He was ready to go through with it, him or me. And he was ready to do it pretty casually. This is just what you do. This is, this is life in an honor society like the military in Russia in the 19th century. And he was shocked by this. It really cut him to the heart. And when that fateful day dawned, he was a changed man. And he refused to fire at the other soldier. He, he screwed up the whole thing. He wouldn't follow the rules. By God's grace, he survived the other guy shooting at him. Uh, you know, firearms in the 19th century weren't that accurate. And he promptly left the military and entered a monastery to do, live a life of repentance, having seen the truth about himself in this kind of frightening way. In both cases, St. Augustine and this fictional character, the elder Zosima, uh, an unexpected occurrence rends the veil of a kind of sleepwalking complacency about life. And a ray of truth shines through. And both Augustine and Zosima spend the rest of their lives trying to position themselves to see this again, to live this reality continuously. And here's the important thing. This effort that they make changes everyone around them. This is the essence of the monastic mission. This is why St. Augustine, when he was burdened again with administrative work, kept monks around him. They were like ambassadors from that other world. A reminder of the goal, a lifeline, as it were. And the medieval theology, ecclesiology, the monks were sort of hanging on to the angels and hanging on to the clergy. And we all hung, if we all hang on to each other, we'll all get to heaven. This reorientation towards the one thing necessary requires that monks let go of anything that would hinder it anything that would tempt them back to the old ordering of things. And this requires real courage, especially in a world, oddly enough, that urges us to do something, stay involved in that old order, rather than seeking to abide in Christ. Now, as the brothers here who study moral theology with me can tell you, fortitude, or courage, is a virtue. And virtues are means between extremes. So courage is not rashness or desperation. And this is why Brother Gabriel has spent five years discerning this vocation, testing himself. Does he intend to go through with this task? Nor can courage be overly cautious, and that's why the language of the right that we're going to use in a moment is quite challenging. Because I'm going to ask Brother Gabriel in just a moment, do you intend to leave everything in order to follow Christ and to witness to him by the conversion of your life as if it hasn't happened yet. Okay? This is a beginning. It's not an arrival. 
It is an arrival of sorts, but it's also a beginning. It's an important reminder for all of us who have made vows, whether these are monastic vows or wedding vows. Making a vow, dare I say, is not a cautious thing. We're promising fidelity in circumstances that we cannot predict or control. And we are readying ourselves by making these vows to be steadfast and unmovable under trying circumstances, which are going to come in the midst of any suffering. I plant myself here. This is where I stand. And again, this is true whether you're a monk or a married person. Fidelity, because of this, fidelity requires ongoing conversion, an ongoing effort to reorient ourselves, to live the life we promise to live the best we can. We're always discovering there are new ways to better ourselves in these things. In the case of the married person, it is an ongoing reorientation to one's spouse, to one's children, to one's families, in-laws. That is who I am now after making that vow. In the case of a monk, it is an ongoing reorientation to God in Jesus Christ and in this community. Both of these are changes of perspective, and it is a perspective that involves not only this glimpse of future glory, but also acceptance of the cross, because we know we're having to leave something else behind. And the liturgy is where we go to remind ourselves of future glory. In a moment, we're going to invoke the saints, a long list of saints, many of them whose relics are actually here with us today. We remind ourselves of their invisible presence. They are with us right now as part of the risen body of Christ. But the liturgy also prepares us to carry the cross with, as I say, unflinching realism about our weakness, our need to suffer in order to be converted. A lot of contemporary activism, and not all of it, mind you, but a lot of it is, in my opinion, especially in the secular world, a rejection of the mystery of the cross. Do something is, is a way of settling my own anxiety about stuff. If I'm out there doing something, I'm not thinking about my anxiety. But also it can mean, you know, don't settle for your situation. Get out there and work for a change. And I don't mean to impugn the motives of persons who long for a better world. But I do wonder sometimes how much the urgency of this appeal is part of that rashness or desperation that separates us from real courage, the willingness to trust in God, to stand, and stand still, accept what comes our way. Real courage will help us to bear up under the sufferings in the intimate knowledge that God's own Son became man to suffer with us and to show us by this suffering the hidden secret pathway to truth and goodness, to the realization of the hope that impels the monk to leave everything behind. The true monk aims at a total inward transformation through the silent and attentive acceptance of God's will, speaking in that still, small voice. It is the way of patience, which, as St. Benedict reminds us, is a form of the passion of our Savior. It is a work of faith that God is purifying me through all of my experiences, the good and the bad, training me for this great vision of his love and glory. And so may all of us who today witness to Brother Gabriel's acceptance 
of this invitation be strengthened in our own work of faith and acceptance of God's will. And may Christ our God lead us all to eternal life. Amen.